full admission come up a little frazzled today from just trying to fix things that keep breaking today. Um, some of them you've seen. Anyway, um, we're here to worship the Lord. We've been doing so. We're now going to get into God's Word, and I, I figured since we've been, we're nearing the end of, of the Gospel of, of Luke. We've been going through that for the last couple of years, actually. Uh, we finally will finish the last chapter in early January, or in January, probably early February, we'll finish the whole book. Anyway, with that in mind, I thought uh, now would be the right time to go back and revisit the beginning of Luke, where we read about the birth of Christ, and I, I kind of want to stay within the same book we've been going through. So if you will, make your way back to Luke chapter 2 this morning. Uh, now this time of year, uh, generally, right, within the culture, it's called Christmas. It's what the church has historically referred to as, as Advent time. Uh, Advent is a, a Latin, it comes from a Latin word, Adventus. Uh, anyone know what that means? Just shout it out. This is your, your opportunity to yell. Hello? Are they, I don't know. Is this one working? Is this one working? Nothing? And this one's not working? All right. This is weird. <laughs> Leave it there. What if I want to set it like right here? What if I want to walk around with it today? <laughs> I don't. I don't. I really don't. Yeah. All right, so I'll leave it, I'll leave it right here. How's that? So now, now is your chance. You, you're as mic'd up as I am for the most part. So uh, what's Advent mean? Adventus. The arrival. Thank you. Yeah, it means the arrival. It's, uh, and in biblical terms, it means that God has arrived, that Jesus has come to dwell among us, with us. Now, I, I, I suppose... Uh, many of you children that are here, right, are excited about this coming Saturday. It's, it's an annual event where for no reason at all you're just given a bunch of gifts on someone else's birthday. Uh, it's this day when you wake up way too early, right? Go wake your parents up and, and you just want to tear into these things and see what it is. Now, parents, you're probably excited too because you like to see the excitement on your children's faces when they get to open up these things. And, uh, and, and that's fine, right? Because new things are a lot of fun. Truly, they are. But I also want us to remember that they, they tend to only be fun for a little while. Uh, if you really keep perspective, eventually these gifts are going to break, uh, or you're simply going to become grow bored with these gifts, uh, or it's not going to be what it promised to do. You know, I'm, as a kid, I remember always seeing on TV these amazing commercials of these action figures and things swimming in the water, and it had all this stuff, and then you'd get it out of the box, and the same action figure on your couch just wasn't quite as cool as you expected it to be. Uh, anyway, you know, be realistic about, about your gifts. Do enjoy them, but, but also know that they cannot, they will not fulfill you. They are incapable of doing it. You see, this, this morning as we, as we begin this, this week, uh, I, I want us to focus our hearts to, to gaze on the reality uh, of the one gift given by God that will not break, that will never grow boring, and that will absolutely fulfill in the way that God has promised it to be. Uh, of course, I'm, I'm talking about, about Jesus, about his uh, arrival, his glorious and, and wonderful advent, right? His incarnation. So 
Uh, before we read today, I do want to kind of set the stage of, of what we're going to be reading here. Uh, because in, in chapter 1 of, of Luke, we learn about these, these two women. Okay? Neither of them are expecting that they're going to become pregnant. Uh, one of them is named Elizabeth, and she doesn't expect to become pregnant because she is simply too old. The biological season has passed for conception, uh, and it's never happened in her life, even though she, maybe she's desired it. And so she doesn't expect it. And then there's Mary, right? And she doesn't expect that she's the only one to become pregnant because, well, she's too young on some regard, right? She's too unwed. She's, she's, too, she's, she's a virgin. And, and that's just, that's not how pregnancy works. That's simple science right there. Now, both mothers were, were told by an angel that they're going to have sons. That's what's to be. And, and they're even told, right, one through her husband, are, are told what they're to name these sons. The, the angel Gabriel is the one we're talking about, and she said, uh, he said that Elizabeth's son, John, who's later going to be John the Baptist, John would be great before the Lord. That's what it says. He'd be great before the Lord. But, but Mary's son, who's to be called Jesus, the angel says, is going to be great without any qualification at all. He's just going to be great. Now, Gabriel also said that John will be filled with the Holy Spirit while Jesus will be conceived by the Holy Spirit. You begin to see this contrast. John's name actually means God is gracious. I assume that's why we know so many Johns. I, looking around here, I can see, what, four of them, just from where I'm standing right now, that, that are named John, right? Uh, and, and so God is gracious. Well, Jesus' name means God saves. And, and finally, as the angel foretells, John was to prepare the way of the Lord, while Jesus, Jesus is the Lord. And so then Joseph, uh, Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, he, he lived in this town of Nazareth, uh, but he was actually from the town of Bethlehem. Like many of you, he's far away from home. Uh, and, and so when this Roman government requires that everyone partake in what is basically a census that's going to be used for tax purposes, uh, later on, he and his betrothed, Mary, they had to travel back to the town that he's from. That's the way they did it. Uh, and again, Mary was pregnant, right? Not by Joseph, but through this miraculous work of the Holy Spirit, and yet, while, while he and Mary knew this, nobody else really understands this, right? And so every place they go, they're this scandalous couple in this, in this time period. And, and it's, you know, one way that reminds us is that the way of the Lord is not often, or not always, or not even often, a comfortable path to walk. And yet, this is the way the Lord calls them to. I'll give you one more thing here before we read. Um, just because it's, it's always intrigued me that when when God comes to dwell among us, when the incarnation comes, I've always thought, you know what, he could have appeared as, as, as this rugged prime of his life, uh, capable man that could have been the way that God enters into the world. It makes perfect sense in so many ways. And yet God enters into humanity like every one of us begins our actual existence. He, he comes into this world, as, or enters into our world as a, a, a zygote. Do you even know what that means? Stucky nose, yeah. It's, it's in the womb of his mother, right? This is a single cell composed of 46 chromosomes, a, a single cell that, that quickly begins to multiply and to form and, until this precious child was ready to be born into the sinful world where he is to be the Savior. And Mary gave birth to Jesus in that small town of, of, of Nazareth, and she laid him into a manger, and you know the reason, because there was no room in in the end, uh, 
And I love that. I, I love when you just stop and think about everything that has to take place for the incarnation. This incredibly humble beginning, not true beginning, but beginning in the, in the sense of the incarnation for this majestic child, this, this promised Messiah. And so that's, that's where we're picking up today. Uh, we're going to read Luke 2, beginning in verse 8. And we'll go almost, and we'll go to verse 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, and the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in manger. And when they saw it, they, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to, the, told to them. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, this morning we thank you for the gift of your Son. We thank you for he who has come to us, dwelling among us as a zygote, as a, as a baby, as, as God, as a man who gave his life on the cross for every man, woman, and child who looks to him with faith so that we might rest assured that our sin is forgiven and our eternal home awaits. Father, give us new wonder with this ancient and familiar story. Give us wonder at the glorious incarnation. Give us wonder at the announcement of this news. Oh, that we may never grow tired of the good news that comes to us in, in the flesh of Jesus. Amen. And so this baby is born into this obscure city. He, he's born to these, these very simple parents. This mic is not where I want it to be. Anyway, um, right, they're poor. Maybe not as absolute dirt poor as they could be, but they don't have a lot of money. And you think, how do we even know this? Well, if you've got your Bibles open, hopefully you do, you can look at verse 24 there and you, you can see that when they actually go to the, to the temple, they've got to make this, this sacrifice according to the law. And, and the sacrifice is to be these animals. Now, what we see they offer there is two turtle doves and two pigeons, right? These are birds. These are, these are cheap sacrifices, if you will. And we know this because in Leviticus 12.8, uh, we're, we're, we're told that, uh, that any mother that could not afford to offer a lamb could offer these birds instead. Uh, that's the option, which means she simply could not afford to offer a lamb. And, and, and you hear this, right? The, the irony of this, right? That the lamb of God, here he is, born into a family who could not afford to sacrifice a lamb to God. Right? It, it's beautiful. And, and, and again, it just shows us this humble way that the Lord enters in, into humanity. 
Now, the first thing we see in our passage today is that, that God sends this, this angel to announce the birth of Jesus. And it, it might at first surprise us, in fact, that, that Jesus isn't born to powerful parents. Why not? It would set him up so much, so much better to have influence over the world, right? And now we see that he doesn't even, doesn't even uh, send an angel to, 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 the, to make this announcement to people of prestige, right? He doesn't go to the socially prestigious people, to the religious ones, the economically, the, the politically elite, or any of that, right? For this monumental event uh, in history. And instead, he sends this heralding creature to these shepherds out in a field in the middle of nowhere, quite literally. See, when I was a, a child, my, my oldest cousin, his name's Tim, over in... Uh, North Carolina. Anyway, he, one, one Christmas as we were all getting together, he boldly predicted the future careers uh, of my two brothers and, and myself. And, and so my oldest brother, Brad, he said, uh, Brad is destined to be a carpet salesman. That's what he's going to do in life. And, and my middle brother, Greg, uh, he was going to deliver that carpet for him in this old rusty van, and they were going to have their carpet, carpet sales thing. And it was, he, he showed it up, like, this is a rundown carpet place and all that stuff. And, and at the same time, Tim, you know, Tim prophesied that I would become the guy who back in the day actually pumped gas into your car for you. That, that was going to be my job. Um, Tim's whole point in doing this was to try to insult to us by saying, these are the careers you're going to have in your life. Now, my brothers both ended up being doctors. Uh, you probably know what I do, although I will pump your gas if you want me to. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, anyway, we, we look back at this, and, and, and we can see, right, you know, in, in some regard, according to Deuteronomy 18.20, we, we should probably have put my cousin to death for this false prophesying. Uh, but, but anyway, my, my point is that there is no escaping this idea that professions actually carry with them these, these reputations that are attached to them, right? You, you think about uh, social workers have this, this reputation that they're compassionate and, and care for people. Uh, professors are, are, are thought to be known to be intelligent, right? Uh, well, lawyers, well, I'd, I'd say what y'all's reputation is, but I don't want to get sued for defamation. There's too many of you in this room. Uh, and, and while you and I both know that, that these reputations aren't always right, right? Not every used car salesman or, is shady. Not every politician is absolutely corrupt. And, 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 and yet we also know that those reputations were built on the backs of, of some salesmen actually being shady, on, of some politicians actually being corrupt. And, and so understand this, that when it comes to first century Jewish society, shepherds were about the least respected people on the planet, Right? This is the insult. This is the one that, that Tim would have said we were going to be if we were back then, you know? All three of you are going to be shepherds. That's what you're going to be. Uh, so much so is, is their reputation bad um, that their testimony in court was not even admissible. You couldn't even, like, their word went nothing in court. Uh, they, should, they couldn't hold a public office. They were, they were generally thought to be thieves. They were thought to be liars. They were thought to be ignorant. In fact, uh, the ancient Jewish author, uh, Jeremiah, not Jeremiah, Jeremiah said, uh, there is no more disreputable occupation than that of a shepherd. That's their reputation. And yet here is God. He doesn't care one bit about their reputation. He sends this angel to them, to these disreputable men out in the field in the middle of nowhere. Now again, this is night, the middle of the night. It's not like our world today where we have all this light pollution that makes everything kind of glow when we're walking around. This was incredibly dark, like dark, dark, can't see your, your hand in front of your face probably. Now, at night, shepherds, 
kept the sheep in a, a pen of some sort, and, and generally these pens would have one opening, and the shepherd would lay down in that opening so that none of the sheep could get out. The other shepherds, however many there were, would, would generally be sleeping somewhere else in the pen as a way to protect the, the sheep, um, to guard them. And, and think about this. It's dark, it's quiet, and, and suddenly there's this strange creature that's just bam right before them. You ever just jumped out and, and startled someone? Anyone do that? Stucky's like, I do that. Nathan, okay, seeing my people here. Because uh, ever since my son Beckham was a little boy, I've found places to jump out and just, ah, and scare him. I don't know why I, I do it, right? The, the, the garage, the, the closet, you know, get behind the shower curtain and, and wait for him to walk in there at some point. Um, and I just laugh my head off. And again, I, I don't know why I do it. I, I don't like saying this in front of Christine because she's probably diagnosing me as a sociopath or something like that. Uh, I mean, anyway, as, as, as scary as it is for Beckham, at least there's this moment in, 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 these, in, in this fear, like there's a moment of fear, and then you realize, oh, it's, it's just my sociopath dad, and, and then you can move on with the rest of your, your time here. But for the shepherds, that relief doesn't come at all, right? At the moment, they're like, oh, that was terrifying. And, and then the only thing they see afterwards is, oh, it's still terrifying because you're an angel, and, and right? It's just this, you can only imagine the fear that comes over them. Uh, and, and there's lights and, and this unknown creature. It's just terrifying. Now, now look at verse 9. It says, the glory of the Lord shone around them. You ever wonder what, what glory looks like? It's a little confusing in the scriptures when we talk about glory because it comes from this, this Hebrew word kavod, and, and that Hebrew word just means weight, like heavy, right? Uh, there is a, a heaviness to the glory of God that, that, you know, it just makes its presence known. It's, you know, God's glory, it's like a 40-ton boulder that's rolled off a cliff, right? You're not going to miss it. God's glory changes things. It changes everything. And, and so it, it comes from this word for weight. And, and yet when we're reading in the, in the Old Testament, the New Testament, we see that God's glory is usually described in this, this, this way as this dazzling, bright light, right? It's, it's luminous, incredibly luminous. Think, think Revelation 21, 23. Uh, here we get this, this word picture of this, this future city that, that we will experience as, as God's you know, adopted children. And, and, and yet, yet we get this picture of how glorious it is. Listen to this. Uh, uh, it, says, it reads, The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Right? There's no sun, there's no moon, it's just the glory of God that's going to light it up so that you can see and, and move around, and, and, and that's the picture here. But for the shepherds on this majestic night, the, the glory of God shines and these angels appear out of nowhere. And so it should be no surprise to us that we read in verse 9 there that the shepherds are filled with great fear. That's the normal response to something like this. That's, that's how people generally respond, actually, to seeing the glory of God. I mean, think of that well-known, famous, you know, passage in Isaiah 6 when the prophet looks upon the Lord and he finds himself just absolutely broken and fearful at the weight of seeing God's glory, right? He says, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, when we see, the, see God's glory even a little, this, this thing begins to happen in, in, in people, right? Even in us, that, 
we realize we're not as, as good, we're not as, as pure, we're not as kind or moral or strong or anything else that we might think we are. We're not, because when we know God's holiness, when we see God's glory, we also know that, that I am just simply nothing compared to God. It's that absolute holiness that we, we hold ourselves up to in that sense. You see, with God's glory, men and women realize that the distance between self and God is, is wider than we ever imagined. A little further in Luke, in Luke 5.8, you remember uh, Peter watches as, as Jesus does this miracle, right? He tells them where to fish, and as they bring these, these nets in, there's so many fish that their boats are sinking. Uh, and, and Peter doesn't, doesn't look at this and say, wow, Jesus, that's, that's awesome, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Can you do that again tomorrow? And instead, there in Luke, we read this. It says, Peter fell down at the knees of Jesus, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He suddenly becomes so aware of this, this gap between himself and, and what divinity is, right? And of God, of Christ. In a lot of ways, that's the shepherds here. It's not just this fear from the, the sudden appearance of an angel, though it's certainly that as well, but, but it's this surrounded by the glory of God that they're able to see, right? And so the angels, they do what all the angels say when people are afraid of them. They say, don't, don't be afraid, shepherds. Really? Right? I mean, can you imagine what's going through the shepherds' heads here? But you're, you're an angel, I think. Right? It's, it's crazy dark, and you're surrounded by glorious light, and I don't even know what electricity is, so this is completely insane to me, but why would I be anything but absolutely terrified in this moment? And then look, they actually give an answer. Verse 10, the, the answer for why they shouldn't be afraid is right there. It says, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And then they define what the good news is right there in verse 11 after that. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Did you notice the three titles of Jesus that are, are thrown in there? He's called Savior. It's one who rescues another. And when the angels visited Jesus' father in a, a dream, right? In Matthew 1.21, the angel tells his father, Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is our Savior. That's a right title. He's also called Christ. That's not a last name. It's a Greek version of a Hebrew word that means Messiah. It's a title for, for the one who was prophesied, would, would come and rescue God's people. And then even as a, a baby, the third title here is Lord. He's called Lord. That's someone with, with authority, a name that is often used to, de, to describe the Lord God Almighty, right? And in fact, functionally, that's the way it's used here. That Jesus is in fact the Lord, not just this baby. That this child is, is good news for everyone who knows they are a sinner. Now I know that some of us, we, we beat ourselves up. We, we tend to, I messed up, I, I failed again, why did I sin in this way or that way? And, and there's this struggle. And, 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 and I'll say this, we, we, we don't need to do that. Now, now hear me out, sure, we, we want conviction for sin. Right? Sure, we, we ought to be fighting sin. We ought to be engaged in the battle for it. But, but, but don't lose sight of the very fact that you being aware of your sin, even that is a gift of God to you. Because Jesus came to save not the righteous, right? But he came to save sinners, sinners like you, sinners like me. 
And after all, saints, right? Saints are simply sinners who confess they are sinners and who look to Jesus with faith for the forgiveness of their sin. And I say that because I don't want you to be discouraged when you're aware of your sin. Okay? Because being aware of your need for your Savior, that is the absolute first step towards trusting in the Savior. Right? That's a work that God's already done in you. So in our passage then, the, the angel tells the shepherds how to recognize the newborn Savior. And, and then suddenly there's this, this multitude of heavenly hosts. Angels, right? Lots of them. Again, p- picture this, right? You've been speaking to one luminous angel, mind blown. This thing is standing before me and there's glory of God shining around and you don't even know what to do it. And, and now there are hundreds, maybe thousands of angels and it's like this massive choir. These angelic beings are, are saying, you, you see it there in for, verse 14, they're saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. What a sight. What a statement. It's a sight that we, we learn in the book of Revelation that we will actually get to see, not, not in the same context, the same moment, right, but to see these angelic beings singing to the Lord. Can you imagine that? Thousands and thousands of angels just singing to the Lord, worshiping. And we'll be worshiping alongside them. Now, I want you to look at their words again, that phrase, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Uh, first of all, this, this is peace in the sense of rest for their souls, uh, Epictetus, the, the famous philosopher at Luke's time, wrote this. He said, While the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion, grief, and envy. He cannot give peace of heart for which man yearns more than outward peace. And, and neither the emperor nor anyone else can give us peace that we really need. And then the peace that we really need is with God. I, uh, a few years back, I was, I was speaking with a, a relative who, who doesn't walk with the Lord, doesn't, doesn't profess faith in the Lord. And, and while she was <clears throat> substitute teaching in, in God's providence, she found a, a Bible on the normal teacher's desk and, and in a moment of absolute boredom, picked it up and just started to read in the book of Genesis. And, and as we spoke, she, she asked a lot of great questions. She's older later in life, and eventually she said, I guess I should go to church and get right with God before I die, right? And I said, well, yeah, that's, that's my hope for you. That's what I desire for you. But that was her, her way of, of saying what we, we put in the words here in a lot of ways, right? Uh, to have peace with God. That's what we need. We, we all need peace with God. And that's, that's the peace that this, this wonderful child, this wonderful baby comes to give to God's people. So listen, if your faith is in Jesus, it's because... God was pleased to give you faith, to, to make peace with you. And, and maybe, maybe you need to hear this passage today just to remember that you don't need to be anxious. Not about the future, not about the state of our nation as you see it, not about finances, not about whatever diagnosis you're facing, not about COVID and, and it's seeming to never go away or about anything else. Because in Christ, God has given you the one thing that you truly need peace with God and all that comes with that the forgiveness of sin right so trust him trust God let us learn to trust God more and more and so then the the angels leave and these shepherds and they go and they see this this Messiah child we we don't think much of that they 
You know, they just pick up and go like it's no big deal. It's a, it's a really big deal. They would have had to, to travel into the city, right? They would have either had to find someone to watch these sheep for them, which is probably not an easy thing to do, or, or bring them into the, the, the city with them. Neither of these are real good options. But they do go, and when they find Mary, and they find Joseph, and they find this baby in swaddling clothes in a manger, right, they, they share what the angels have spoken to them, what they have said to them. And, and, and we have told here in our passage that it causes everyone to wonder, except for one person, except for Mary. Verse 19 says she, she pondered in her heart. It makes that distinction. You kind of think, of course she did, right? What, what a strange thing it is for, for God in flesh to be her child. Try to get your head around that one, right? That, that sounds crazy to people today. It, it certainly sounded crazy to Mary even then, but I, I can only imagine that it, it, it was reassuring to hear from these, these strange men, even these lowly shepherds who have suddenly shown up at the door, right? That they come and they bring this message that confirms everything the angel had told her so many months before. And then I love how this passage ends. You, you, you visited newborn babies in your life probably, right? I'm, I'm sorry, but newborn babies are incredibly boring. Uh, they don't do anything. They sit there and we're all like, oh, it's so cute. Um, right? And even baby Jesus, it's not like he's glowing or levitating or anything like that amazing. Uh, he, he wouldn't have even been able to hold his own head up. That's what we're talking about, just like any other baby at this point, right? Just nursing and crying and sleeping and pooping, baby things. And, and yet the shepherds understood that the future hope that this child would fulfill. And, and what do they leave doing? You see it there in verse 20 before you. They leave glorifying and praising God. See, we don't know what the angels were doing at the time when the, or sorry, what the shepherds were doing when the angels showed up in the field. Were they awake and, and telling stories? Were they complaining about their in-laws? Were they, you know, telling jokes? Or maybe just sound asleep at the moment. Most likely that, right? But, but who knows? And yet here they are praising God. And, and you know that these are, these are Jewish men, and so they probably have known from childhood about this Messiah, the Savior that was to come, but now they have actually encountered that Messiah, and, and they're forever changed. And yet, it's, it's always seemed to me that after an experience like this, that the shepherd would have quit tending sheep, and they would have gone into some sort of full-time ministry, right? They would have been pastors or missionaries or something, right? And I, I love that, that there's nothing in the Scriptures to make us think that they ever did anything like that. Instead, what they do is they, they return back to what they were doing. Back to the same job with this new understanding of the world they live in, a new understanding of the Savior they have, the peace that they're going to have with God, and, and with their hearts just overflowing in praise. That's the change. And so then this Advent, the coming uh, you know, of Jesus Christ, as we celebrate this, as we think about this, as we think about God coming to dwell among mankind in flesh and in history, right? We think about that. And the reason that God does this, the reason that the God, the creator of the universe, is, is so that he can be at peace with us. All that Jesus has to go through. Everything up to his, his death on the cross, his burial in the grave that we looked at last week. See, if you know that your sins are forgiven in Jesus, this Christmas, rest and rejoice in that. Think about that. Remember that. That's a gift that cannot be taken from you ever. If that's not you, I, I want you to know that this child who humbly entered into the world, 
grows up. He does miracles. He proclaims forgiveness of sin. He lays down his life on a Roman cross. He is, he is a perfect sacrifice to purchase the forgiveness of our sin. He is, he is resurrected back, uh, back to life, which we're going to be looking at in, in, in January. And, and you need to know that you can look to Jesus with faith and believe. And so either this morning I either be seeking peace with God through Christ or this morning be learning to better rest in the peace that you have with God through Christ. And then Saturday morning, right? Wake up, enjoy your guests. Enjoy the delightful foods that's sure to be there. Enjoy the fellowship of family and friends. But let us not forget that God has come into the world to save us from our sin. And thus to meet our greatest need with the greatest gift, the gift of a Savior. Let's, let's pray. Lord God, as we gather with family in coming days, we ask that you would give us joy to be in each other's presence. We ask that you would make us bold to speak about you. We ask that even as we await these fun foods and new gifts and festive music, that we would be ever aware that in Christ we have truly received all that we will ever need. May the Holy Spirit stir up our hearts so that we better understand your great love for us, so that your love flows out of us to others as well. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.